Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we praise you. We thank you. We ask you to open our eyes and our ears, Lord, to the things that are coming, and especially to spiritual warfare, Lord. If we don't fight, we lose. That's what you have taught us. So, thank you, Father, for helping us discerning today uh, what is the right direction for this spiritual warfare. What is the uh, the uh, nature of it? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to call this Power of Spiritual Warfare. And um, we're going to start with Tiana Fire, uh, 4.10.23. We called it Being a Light in the Rebellious Camp. Yep. We, we have to be able to get this across to people. And uh, this is all about that. In a dream, I was participating in and working in a children's summer camp that could only be accessed on a dirt road that had no signal. Everyone that worked there was a woman. Well, this children's summer camp represents the apostate church where there are many spiritually immature people and distractions, and there's no signal or connection to the Holy Spirit because of uh, legalistic doctrines and because they haven't received the Holy Spirit. So, uh, she went on to say, it was only a few days into the season, and there were so many different activities uh, I believe this is representing the busyness and the distractions uh, the, because that's all there is there, you know, uh, to keep us from um, the truth. I didn't have a car to get around, so I either caught a lift or I walked. And I believe this represents the legalism of self-works that plague the walk of people in apostate church systems. As it got to the third night, I realized that I didn't want to be here, but I wanted to be with my husband, Samuel, and our son, David. <laughs> well, I believe this is represented, designed to be with the father uh, and uh, the son, the David man-child ministry, in a true relationship. So, I went to the only landline and called Samuel to come and pick me up. I was expecting him to come the next day during daylight, but instead he drove to me straight away, although it took a few hours for him to get to me. I was thinking of Isaiah 58 9, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and he will say, Here I am. 
<laughs> so I went and started packing up uh, the many things in the room that I was staying in, and when Samuel came to get me, I gave him some of the items and went to pack the rest of my things that I had in all different areas of the place. Uh, I believe this is kind of representing the process of repentance and giving all uh, our burdens to the Lord. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I went to the kitchen and there were three women in there asking me why I was leaving. The kitchen is the place of the preparation, I would say, of the food, the spiritual food for the immature people. And uh, uh, women are not supposed to be uh, leaders in the church or preachers according to the Word of God. Of course, they go by their own rules, okay, and what people uh, like, okay. Uh, then one of the girls named Courtney, meaning from the court or short nose, <laughs> representing legalism and immature discernment, I would say, came over and gave me a present with a card and pamphlet on it. I didn't look at it, but laid it on the bench in front of me and kept grabbing my things. So basically she's on the way out, right? Courtney then came back and remembered that I only follow Jesus and said, Actually, I don't think you would like this, referring to the present. I opened the pamphlet and I saw it had a recipe for simple spells. And I handed it back to her and said kindly but boldly, No, I don't like it. <laughs> well, Many religious people do not recognize that they are in rebellion against the word, which is witchcraft. 1 Samuel 15 and 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as idolatry and teraphim. Well, she wasn't offended and she took the present back and went and put it away. Well, that's because of what really is being symbolized here. Um, coming into submission to the Word is a learning process. There are many people that are into witchcraft or rebellion, and they need a learning process to come out, and they need kindness, and so on and so forth. I turned around and saw that there were now other people sitting on the couch and standing around, and they were all curious as to why I was leaving. <laughs> That's good. I looked at two uh, specific girls, and I saw uh, in the spirit that they were practicing witches, and they could see in the spirit realm. And as soon as they knew that I saw them as witches, they wondered how I could see. And I said to them out loud, It's Jesus. Uh, they were taken aback and couldn't understand what I meant. Well, we know the Holy Spirit gives us discernment when religious people are rebellious against the Word, which is witchcraft. 
I continued collecting my things, and Courtney came back over again, and I shared about how Jesus is more powerful than the spells and the witchcraft, and there's more um, knowledge and understanding in him. Let me say that uh, witchcraft is many times um, uh, translated from pharmakia. Um, so, uh, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. She was very open uh, to hearing about Jesus um, as he was drawing her, and I turned and I saw that everyone in the room was watching me talking about him. Well, we know God will save his elect out of the apostate church system, which is in rebellion against God and doesn't respect the Word of God. I could tell the two practicing witches weren't wanting Jesus yet, but they were still watching and everyone else was curious. I then put my finger on uh, my mouth and I saw that a large chip of my tooth had fallen out. And I knew that the two ladies had done some spell or curse to cause this. And I felt it was to show off their power and to impress the others around them. Well, spiritually, teeth falling out represents not being able to chew on the word or the solid food, as it's called in the scriptures, which is what? To do the will of the Father. Okay. So this uh, not being able to chew the word or the spiritual food, uh, witchcraft or rebellion against the word in any form can hinder our spiritual growth in Christ. I grabbed the part of the tooth and uh, smiled up to heaven and thanked God and put the chip back into the tooth and praised God for completely fixing and healing my tooth. And it supernaturally connected back in and was healed. And everyone there got to witness Jesus' miracle. Well, we do have to um, demonstrate the gospel before people. And it's very powerful when God confirms his word with signs and wonders, right? So when we truly desire to consume the word, God will help us to overcome all obstacles and hindrances. I continued to grab my things from the lounge uh, room and the two witches came and sat down on the couch watching me curiously, but also trying to imitate me. They were, there were other people there that had uh, no knowledge of the spiritual realm sitting there watching me pack. And I got down on my knees, uh, I believe probably representing humbling yourself and being weak to the weak. Uh, to get on their level. And I said to the two witches that before I followed Jesus, I did everything my own way. And God started revealing the spiritual realm to me with supernatural knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and revelations. You two know about spirits and aliens, etc., <laughs> And I used to believe uh, that too, but after knowing all this spiritual truth, I kept doing things my own way until God showed me that hell is real 
And those spirits and aliens are just fallen angels. And we know, of course, they just want to carry people away to their place, right? I related my testimony to those women, and I told them that they didn't know the full truth. They were deceived like I was. I said everything out of love to them, and I could understand where they were. I, I could see them opening up to the truth in their hearts. And they were looking for truth, but the enemy tricked them to twist knowledge for their own power. Well, we know that uh, many will be delivered from Satan's deceptions and escape the apostate rebellious house through uh, the word of our testimony, quote-unquote. As I thought this, uh, the demons that operated through these girls came all around me as if to fight me. I looked up to heaven and asked Father to please send holy angels around me. And holy angels appeared and pushed back all the fallen angels. And the enemy couldn't do anything. Everyone was still watching and witnessing that the holy angels were greater and more powerful. Psalm 103 and 20 says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Yes, the angels go to work for us when we are in agreement with the word of God. I kept testifying about all Jesus has done for me and how he has changed me. And I ended up not packing up the rest of my things, but I felt to just leave the things there, and God will provide me new ones if I really need them. Well, that kind of symbolizes, I believe, that we should leave our religious baggage behind uh, to have a true relationship with the Lord. Samuel was still waiting in the car for me to come out. And I believe that this represents that the Father is patient with us, uh, Psalm 86 and 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. The witches were seeing the truth and understanding about Jesus, and uh, the others were also drawn to the real good news. Uh, in the spiritual realm, I could see all the demons that operated through them and held them all in bondage. They were so angry, and they all came out to intimidate me to not continue testifying of Jesus. And I said, the blood of Jesus, and they all fell back and couldn't do anything. Another horde of demons came running down the hallway quickly to me, and holy angels stepped in front of me like a wall or a shield. Everyone's demons in that room in the spiritual realm did everything they could to stop Jesus in me from speaking the word and truth as it was breaking strongholds in these people and setting them free. In this physical realm, it was just me on my knees speaking about Jesus and others calmly sitting on couch or standing around and listening. But in the spiritual realm, there was this big battle of demons trying to attack. 
but the holy angels were blocking it all. And, of course, Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. The devil likes to get us in that trap. But against principalities and against the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then I woke up. Amen. A good uh, parable about uh, ministering to well, like Jesus said, he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, they're not supposed to be lost, right? And, of course, uh, in the New Testament, Israelites are they uh, who are circumcised in heart. Okay? So this other revelation I want to share with you, uh, Marie Kelton, three four twenty three, and we called it An Attack of the Rebellious. During the meeting, I had an open vision of a wooded area. I saw a small circle of fire. I then saw a group of people with black hoods come out of the woods, stand around the fire in a circle. Then another person that was standing in the circle of, of fire had a goat by the neck, and they cut the neck of the goat with a knife over the cauldron. I saw this multiple times. Well, you know, they, the witches have attempted, the witchcraft uh, faction have attempted uh, to stop us from doing what we're doing. And um, they wouldn't call it that, but it's Satanism. But they're rebellious against any word of God, and they obey exactly as they want to. They have complete freedom to be broken loose from the word of God. The rebellious witches are always busy fighting against God and, and His saints. And they're sending witchcraft, slander, and faction against the saints. Okay, so you have to resist that. You have authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you, if you believe it. <laughs> so, this next one uh, was given to Tiana Fire, 3.26.23. Spiritual warfare spray. Another symbolism. I, I dreamed that I was invited to this giant mansion that was like a high-rise building, and it was located on the edge of a high cliff, and it looked over a wide river. Well, I believe that this represents Zion, the tower of the flock, and the cleft of the rock, and being planted by the river of living waters. Micah 4 and 8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Yea, the former dominion shall come. You've been given dominion over the enemy just as they were formerly. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Okay, in Song 2, 14. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the steep place, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. In Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is, 
For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out its roots by the river, and shall not fear when heat cometh, but its leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And of course, that's the river of living waters, which is the word of God. I went up to the very top floor, and it was set up with many communal areas, like many computers in a room, many bathrooms all joined together, a giant lounge room where there were many people sitting down, and many bedrooms joined and other rooms, etc. Well, uh, this is she says this is representing the original church of Acts living in one accord. I agree with that. Also, I'll add this, Ephesians two nineteen through 22 says, So then ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, or sanctified ones, and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's what we have to be built on. It's already laid down in the Word. We just step in their steps, right? Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. So the people coming together in one accord are the temple of God, as is said elsewhere in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. God dwells in Zion, and this description of Zion. There were many males living here. I was taken to a special room where I met the owner of this whole building, and he was only a young man. I believe this is representing Jesus, the man-child. He said that he had a gift for me, and he sprayed my face with this thing, and when I'd go outside the building, I could see principalities over the areas. I could see demons, and what they were doing now, and what they were going to do next. This spray only lasted for a short period of time, and I believe this is representing a gift of discerning of spirits. Sometimes God lets you see in the spirit realm and see what demons are doing and so on. I left this place and went across the river to the only house that was on that part of the land. And at this time, the spray wore off. David Eels came out of the house and he needed someone to look after his eight sons while he went out to do God's work. Well, eight is a significant number. Eight, eight, eight is the gematria for of Jesus, right? Um, and I said I could, and David went uh, to where God wanted him to go. And I went into the house and met his sons. They were all between the ages of five to thirteen. Uh, babes in Christ, she says. They were uh, good well-behaved and well-mannered, and they were in unity with each other. If you become as a child, that's maturity in the kingdom of God. A child just trusts their father. They obey their father, so on and so forth. Um, 
They don't have their own ideas yet, so they lean more on uh, their father, right? They had lots of energy, and I didn't have to do much except clean up a little bit. They all took good care of themselves and were in unity. Uh, these represent, I believe, David's spiritual children who are coming into the likeness of Christ, represented by the number eight. And uh, 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 says, For though you have 10,000 tutors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I begat you through the gospel. So there are fathers out there who sow the seed of the Father and uh, into the church, into those that are coming into the kingdom. And um, in that way, they're sowing the only seed that is permissible in the New Testament spiritually, right? Uh, Towards the late afternoon, one of the younger sons came running to me, and he told me he had sprayed himself with the same spray that I had gotten sprayed with in the tower. He was worried because he was now seeing scary creatures outside. And I asked him to please spray me too so I could see the same things he was seeing. And he sprayed me. And I went outside and saw some demons all around the place. Uh, but the biggest one I saw was a giant wolf that was viciously running in quick circles around a town. It was making uh, loud howls, and it seemed angry. So, um, these demons were all around the house. And, of course, they're doing everything they can to destroy Zion, the bride. Everything they can. Because this, the devil knows, is uh, his mortal enemy. And so now this town, I believe, and the wolf running around, it probably represents um, uh, these factious religious cults out there that they call religions, you know, uh, who are uh, driven by witchcraft to attack the sheep. And this we have seen in, um, in the states and overseas, that the, they're with their witchcraft trying to attack the people of God that are doing the work, getting the gospel out, the real gospel out. The devil hates the real gospel. Acts 20, 29 through 30 says, Know that after my departing, grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Yes, you can tell them they're ambitious, they're um, competitive, uh, they're self-willed, they're uh, bold and, um, you know, uh, they're just totally out of the will of God. And from among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Yes, and as you listen to those words, that's a seed uh, that goes into your heart and recreates them in you and recreates their spirits in you. So you don't want to listen to something that's contrary to the Word. And another text is Ezekiel 22 and 27. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls 
that they may get dishonest gain. This is everywhere. There are deceivers everywhere. You have to get familiar with the Word of God so that you're familiar with a true shepherd. Amen? I then saw all these mummified-looking spirits begin running towards the house from the hills. And uh, I believe this is representing the spirits of the living dead. They want to think you to think that they're living, but they're dead. Kind of like the factious who bite and devour. And uh, is, the blood of the saints is in their teeth. They have killed quite a few people. I ran back inside and told all David's sons to close all the doors, windows, and curtains, etc. And, um, well, guard your heart and keep hidden the treasure of the truth and the life of Christ in yourself. But uh, these doors and windows represent protecting your eye gates and your ear gates from slander and criticism uh, of the factious that they use to cause you to be unforgiving so that you're turned over to the tormentors, as Jesus said, right? And Psalm 101 and 3 says, I will set no base thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. Amen. So everyone started closing all the windows and the doors. However, before everything was closed, a mummy got inside of the house. So we all ran into one of the bedrooms. Well, entering into the rest uh, is what's here. I mean, you don't have to fear. You can rest because you have authority over these creatures. Um and so entering into the rest combined with uh, spiritual warfare during the attacks of the enemy and believing it's already accomplished is how you handle this. I found a couple of hidden guns that were red. They were special, not like normal guns. These red guns, I believe, represent our weapon of the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, as we saw earlier. The blood of Jesus, the demons ran, right? I said that these can be uh, used to shoot only the demons. And I kept one and gave the other two to a couple of David's boys. Well, um, she said, the word of God is a weapon to the enemy. We all left the room and I shot the mummy and it completely disappeared when it got hit. And the boys ran outside and started shooting all the mummy demons that they saw, and they all disappeared. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Amen. So let's plead the blood of Jesus and defeat all the demons who use the wicked against us, right? Okay, here's another one. Tiana Fire, Resisting the Enemy, 3.23. As I was trying to sleep, I started having these random evil thoughts out of nowhere, and it was something I rarely ever have. I rebuked these thoughts and recalled Scripture to my mind instead. Uh, But the wicked thoughts kept coming back. I had to keep resisting them 
and thinking on Jesus and His Word and the promises instead. The enemy stopped for a little while, but then they came back even stronger. And uh, the evil thoughts kept invading. It was a constant battle in my mind. And the battle got stronger and worse and more contrary to the Word. But I resisted it all. Well, this is like a factious witchcraft attack that uh, many have gone through. It's it's like boot camp, uh, a place to learn how to resist and conquer the enemy spirits, right? So God runs us through these training courses here, and He wants us to uh, be sure to use this spiritual warfare, recognize the enemy, the real enemy, or these spirits behind the scene, right? And do spiritual warfare. So, the evil thoughts became even more consistent, powerful, and intense, and I prayed in my mind to God to please get this devil away from me, as I don't agree with it. I wondered how long this would go on, and it honestly felt like the longest time, and I thought it would never go away. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as man can bear. Don't let the devil tell you you can't bear this, or you're going to give in to this, you know. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make also the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Amen. You can endure it. Yes, you can. Especially if you speak the Word of God against the real spiritual enemy. So the enemy tried throwing everything he could at me, and I resisted it all, and I spoke scriptures in my mind back to him. Then it finally completely and suddenly stopped and didn't come back. Well, there were no more thoughts or feelings from the devil anymore, and I was able to fall asleep. James 4 and 7 says, Be subject, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, uh, this is because he's just a big bluffer. He has no authority. Jesus bound the strong man, and he said to us, Sick him. Right? I then had a vision of the process of this trial that I had just gone through with the enemy's attacks and how it was like birth pains. The mild contractions came just like the enemy attacks and stayed for a little while and then subsided. And then the contractions became constant and got more intense and stronger and the enemy became constant, trying harder and the trials became more intense. Sometimes uh, birthing contractions feel like they go on too long, and women wonder how long until they will end. Well, some trials um, feel like they have been going on for so long, and the enemy tries to give us doubt that the trial will end. But Jesus said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. So endure the trial, resist the devil, submit to God, right? Well, towards the end of the trials, the enemy gets more intense 
and throws everything he can at us to get us to fail or to give in. And it gets so intense, uh, and then suddenly the trial is completely over. Just how the contractions are so intense and strong, and suddenly the baby is delivered, and the pain is completely gone. All glory to God. Yep, and she gives uh, John 16 and 21. The woman, when she giveth birth, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But when she delivereth the child, she remembereth no more the tribulation for the joy that a man is born into the world. Yes, and we endure these trials to manifest that man, who is Jesus Christ, who is birthing in us and soon to be seen by the world, right? Whenever we manifest him to the world, they're seeing that baby, right? I felt that we need to call unto the Lord in the midst of our trials. Uh, Romans 10 and 13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, amen. Cast down all your vain imaginations, all those little lies that want to lead you away from the Scripture, and press into Him, she said. Uh, he struggled for our freedom uh, in every aspect, and our debts are paid uh, in full by Him. Amen. So, we know that the battle in Second Corinthians chapter 10 is to cast down these vain imaginations that are fired at us, that we don't agree with them because they don't agree with the Scripture. And if we endure to the end, we will win. Okay, this is uh, Geneva Stats 2.26. Witchcraft defeated by the name of Jesus. Well, amen. I had a dream that I was in a room with a big open window, and I was supposed to be getting rest. There was a big bed in the room, and in the bed were these young-looking Jezebel witches. Hmm. They had a bunch of dark makeup and piercings all over their faces, and they had terrible, angry looks on their faces. And there was a girl beside them that was needing healing and was wanting to be delivered. Hmm. Well, this girl represents God's elect among the rebellious apostates in the house. Amen. So God has some people in there, um, you know, act um, uh, judiciously, act uh, humbly, uh, but act. Right against the principalities and powers. I started speaking the name of Jesus and was praying in the Holy Spirit and was claiming deliverance over this girl. Well, that's probably representing our spiritual warfare for our brethren trapped in the apostate church system. The witches didn't like it and became very vociferous about it. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Then another sister suddenly appeared and began speaking in agreement with me. Well, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst, right? And if any two of you shall agree as touching anything, it shall be done by our Father. Amen. So two are very powerful. We then started praying louder and saying, in the name of Jesus, over and over, and the next thing I knew, I looked down beside me, and there was a compass or a pendulum 
object on the ground beside me that the witches had placed there as a tool against us. Well, we have to beware of Satan's devices. They have no authority or power over us if we believe that. Second Corinthians two ten and 11 says, But to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For what I also have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, for your sakes have I forgiven it in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage may be gained over us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Yes. Make sure you have forgiven everyone if you do spiritual warfare because you might get clobbered. And uh, make sure when uh, you are being attacked that you forgive or you might get clobbered. (laughs) We just continued to confess the name of Jesus and uh, held our hands up and praised him amid them. Until, suddenly, these witches had to begin speaking the name of Jesus as well. They began speaking and coming into agreement with us uh, to the name of Jesus. Well, the Word says that even the demons must confess the name of Jesus, and that's exactly what started happening until this girl was set free. So, praise the Lord. And then I woke up. All right, uh, this was Samuel Fire, 4, 14, 23, the fiery power of a mustard seed. Hmm. I had a vision of a mustard seed growing into a very large tree, just as in the parable. I then saw the powerful spice and heat from just one seed, and how powerful a mustard tree would be if all the seeds were used. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, the power of uh, unity is seen uh, in prayers like Matthew eighteen, nineteen and 20. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Yes. So, you have power to join with others. If you feel that you don't have enough, join with others and come into agreement. Um, When the seed is broken and added to water, it creates a hot oil. Our faith as a mustard seed extracted and applied with the water of the Word creates an intense fiery oil representing the power of God and an anointing to be poured out for His glory. Well, amen. And Mark four thirty through 32 says this, And he said, How shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or in what parable shall we set it forth? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown upon the earth, though it be uh, less than all the seeds that are upon the earth, yet when it is sown, groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs, and putteth out great branches, so that the birds of the heaven can lodge under the shadow thereof. All right. 
All right, this is another one, Samuel 5, 4, 13, 23. Don't rejoice at the enemy's defeat. Focus on your walk. Mm-hmm. I heard the Lord say, Be the loving example of my word. Press into the perfect place of me. Keep on focusing on me. Read and pray. Be helpful to each other in assistance. Help each other with encouraging words spoken in agreement. No one has suffered more than the price paid by my son. Do not compare to others. Uh, Do not rejoice because of the enemy's defeat, but be concerned over your walk and encourage others towards righteousness. Draw deeper and closer into me and desire to do with me all the great things that I have prepared for you. Learn to have no ability to do anything by self. Everything is already done in Christ. I have said it is now a time to delve deeper in the revelation of my love for you. I felt that we just need to let go, stop, and believe. It can be so hard to do, but just think and speak in agreement with Him, especially in the trials. Do not worry. Everything is done. You don't have to worry about it all. I felt that we needed, Samuel said, I felt that we needed to praise God, to speak in agreement with His Word concerning His love for us, and to receive it through Him. Okay, and back to the Lord. The enemy is always attacking and lying to you every moment. The world is always trying to distract you and trying to get in between you and me. The enemy and flesh try to use your hurt and your old memories to separate us. But you need to give all of these to me. And when you read and apply my word in truth and love, I am welcomed and connected to you. And when it is difficult, give to me attention and prayer. Praise me, for I am your final answer and solution. Well, back to Samuel here again, 4.12.23. There is no contest. Okay, this is what people don't understand, you know. He said, I had a vision of two types of fighting rings, one like the WWF wrestling and another like a serious boxing match. The first was how the world and the apostate church view spiritual warfare, like a wrestling match, right? Uh, God versus Satan, with Jesus getting tagged in, A comical and complete waste of time. Yep, we know that God is sovereign over all things, and He wins even using vessels of honor and dishonor. You're going through a test. The, The control is God. He's in control of the whole thing. He's in control of the wicked. He's in control of the righteous. You're going through a test. Are you going to agree with His Word and act upon it? Yeah. 
The other fighting ring is how disciples of Christ view spiritual warfare. Jesus crushing defeats Satan and uh, Father God refereeing. There is no contest. There's no chance of any other outcome. Jesus is the victor and glory to our Father forever. Yes, if we act contrary to the word, uh, Jesus permits the enemy to clobber us. <laughs> yes. And if you walk in agreement with the word and confess the word and the Lord Jesus as your Savior, uh, he gives you the victory over them. It's it's training. It, again, it's like boot camp, right? So, let the shackles of condemnation fall, we call this one. This is Debbie Fenske's Word, 3623. At our Monday night meeting, Jesus, our Lord and King, was exalted and lifted high by our praise and worship. It was so wonderful, and His presence was so strong. I am so thankful that the Lord is always looking at our hearts, and that He... uh so mercifully lets us know what is really going on inside of some of us or all of us, even in a time of deep worship of Him, as we were having last night. And as we were expressing our love for Jesus through our worship of Him, I felt the Lord truly searching our hearts during that time, and He let me know what He was seeing I spoke out that the Lord was seeing some in bondage, shackled by condemnation, because they are not at the place with Him that their heart really longs for. Yes, condemnation comes to steal your faith. Um, it is part of the test, of course. Um, if you are condemned because of your past failures, uh, you must be thinking you could have done better. But you can't do any better unless you have faith in God. He is the one that does it in you. And you can't have faith and condemnation at the same time. The enemy knows that. So he condemns you. All you have to do is confess your sins. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, he says. So that's a simple, quick thing. That's not a uh, rolling around in the dirt, in the mully grubs all the time. Uh, condemning yourself, you did a bad job, you failed this and you failed that. Forget the things which are behind. Press forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forget the things which are behind. You must do this. So there's no condemnation. Who's condemning you for the things that are behind? He tells you to forget them. Okay? The Lord said, Let the shackles of condemnation fall. Why are you bound by condemnation? I do not condemn you. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The shackles of condemnation must fall. Condemnation only hinders you from gaining more of anything in me. I tell you, in your desire for more of me, rest. That's faith. That's what you do when you have faith in the promises. You just rest. Because you believe. Know that I am drawing you to myself. I am not going to let you go. Let go of the things that you try to do in your own strength and have more of me. I have not left you. I will help you. 
Let me lead you as you give uh, yourself in full surrender to me. And no, it is I who am molding you. It is I who will make you more and more like me as you move with me and leave me do my deep work in your heart and let me do uh, my deep work in your heart. Praise God. So as you are in full surrender to me, then those things that distract you, take your time and condemn your heart, must go. Even now I draw you to myself and I say, Be free. Let the shackles of condemnation fall and follow me. He wants us to have faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so you've got, if you get condemnation, if you accept it, you can't have faith. And that's what the devil wants. So he condemns you for all your past failures. Well, you're never going to be anything but a failure if you receive condemnation because you don't have faith. And faith is our access to uh, the gift of Christ, right? Okay, we call this the blood of Jesus protects us from all condemnation. Matt Ezel, 3, 8, 23. When we have a conviction of sin, even if we feel bad about ourselves, the Lord is still on our side. Satan is the accuser and will manipulate us into thinking the Lord is done with us. But the blood covers us, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. We really must have it in our minds that He is our Father, and He loves us no matter what, and that He doesn't think about us the way we tend to think about ourselves. Unless we are in blatant rebellion, we have nothing to worry about. Well, amen. This is so true. The Lord does not want us to live under condemnation because we won't access His benefits that way. And He wants us to be a witness of Him, right? You know, we are justified by faith. That means we are accounted righteous by our faith in the words of God, which, of course, teach us that Jesus bore all of our sins on the cross, and they are gone They are taken away. Reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. So since you're justified by faith in this, you're accounted righteous. That's what justified means. God accounts you righteous when you walk by faith, not by condemnation, but when you walk by faith, and He gives you all the benefits of the kingdom because this is your access to all the benefits of the kingdom. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. If you accept condemnation, you will not have faith. There is a place for condemnation. It's willful disobedience. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment which devours the adversaries. So, you... You're going to be judged if you walk in willful disobedience. You know the truth, but you're going to do your own thing anyway. Okay, so what do you get? A spanking, because Jesus did not bear the penalty for that curse. He did not. You have no sacrifice for sin, it says. That's Hebrews 10, 26. 
on down. So if you uh, don't have a sacrifice, guess what? The devil is right there. He's ready to clobber you. Yeah, you wonder why you live under the curse? Well, I'm going to tell you. If you walk in willful disobedience, uh, you're under the curse. If you add to or take away from God's Word, you're under the curse. Come into agreement with God's Word and don't live under the curse. Jesus bore the curse. He became accursed for us so that we might have Abraham's blessings. And Abraham was blessed in all things. So, this spiritual warfare is uh, standing on a solid ground of justification by faith. And when you attack, attack the demons behind the people, and you will have victory. Attack the people, and you will find an enemy. And uh, you will lose because our wrestling is not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of this darkness. Fight against the real enemy, and you will win. Spiritual warfare is a necessity. Casting out demons is a necessity to walk in the steps of Jesus. That was one of the signs that believers would have. In my name, they will cast out demons. And he said, I give you authority over all all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. So obey the Lord. You are his vessel here to conquer the enemy in others, as some of the first revelations we shared here. And we must be gentle with them. Yes, it is witchcraft, but they don't know that. And um, their rebellion against the word is every place they've added to and taken away from the word of God, and which is what religion normally does. It did it in Jesus' day, right? None of the religions followed Jesus in his day. There was the church, which was the called out ones. What were they called out of? Religion. None of those religions followed Jesus. People followed Jesus. Amen. Well, all right. God bless you, and thank you for joining us today. And um, please listen to Michael. Father, bless Michael and uh, bless the brethren. And, uh, Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing for us. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. All right. Good night, saints. Bless you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. <clears throat> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word, Father, because your word teaches us the things that you want us to know. And the thing that we do a lot of times is confess the wrong confession. And we know, as the Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And, Lord, we know that we have to speak those things that you want us to speak, confess those things that you want us to confess out of the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, that we're going to learn that today what to confess, and how to confess it. And we praise you, we glorify you for lifting us up to anoint us to do the, to, to speak this out, Lord, and to, to teach people what it is to confess the Word of God and how it affects your life. Thank you, Father. Glory be to God. You know, that's what I want to talk about, actually. The power of what you say affects everything around you. There are a few Christians that have recognized the place 
that our confession holds in our life. And whenever the word confession is used, we often think about sin and weakness and failure is what we need to confess. But that's the negative side of of the question of of, uh, confessing the word. Christianity is called the great confession. Confessing is affirming something that we believe. It's testifying of something that we know, and it's witnessing for a truth that we have embraced. Confession holds a very large place in Christianity. Jesus planned that this great life that we live and love should be given to the world through testimony, that is, through the confession of our lips. Testifying and witnessing and confessing have been the great leaders in the revolutionary life that Jesus gave to the world. But the major problem that we face then is to know what we are to confess. Our confession set around several things. First, what God in Christ has worked in us. And then second, what God through the word and the spirit has worked in us. And third, what we are to the Father in Christ. And last of all, what God can do through us or what the word will do through our lips. You can't confess or witness about things you don't know. It's what you have seen and heard that counts in the courtroom, glory to God. It's what you know personally about Jesus Christ and about what you are in Christ that counts. There's not enough of us that dare to confess the world to the world what the word declares that we are in Christ. Now take this scripture for instance. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. What a revolutionary thing it would be for the church to make a confession like that. That we are not just forgiven sinners, not poor, weak, staggering, sinning church members. They are new creations created in Christ Jesus with the life of God, the nature of God, and the ability of God in them. What an inspirational excitement it would make in the modern church for you to confess that you are absolutely redeemed. Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8 says, In whom we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and proof. What that would mean is that Satan's dominion has been broken, that he lost his dominion over your life the moment you became a new creation. You received a new Lord, Jesus Christ, to reign over you. Satan's dominion ended and Jesus' dominion began. Disease and sickness can no longer lord it over you. The old habits can no longer lord it over you. You are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Ooh, glory to God. And what a shaking there would be if this scripture became a reality. In Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And in Romans 8 and 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
That's the most revolutionary thing that has ever been taught. That is your confession as you stand before the world. God is with me this morning. Glory to God. First John 4, 4 declares, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you fearlessly stand up and say, God is in me now. The master of creation is in me. And what a confession that would be. You face life fearlessly. And you know now that greater is he that is in you than all the forces that can be gathered against you. You are facing bills that you can't pay. You're facing enemies that you have no ability to conquer. And yet you face them fearlessly. And you say with triumph, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemy, and he anointeth my head with oil. That's Psalms 23 and 5. I am filled with joy and victory because God has taken me over. He's fighting my battles, glory to God. I'm not afraid of circumstances because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4 and 13. And he's not only my strength, but he is also at my right hand. He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He throws light upon life's problems so that I know I can act intelligently. He is my salvation, my deliverance from every trap that the enemy tries to set for me, from every snare in which he would enslave me. Psalms 27 and 1 says, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I ain't afraid of nothing. I have no fear because this God of omnipotence is on my side. And that ought to be our continual confession every day. And I confess that I have a redemption that God planned in rotten Christ. I am a new creation of which he himself is the author and the finisher. I have a righteousness that permits me to stand in his presence as though sin has never been. I not only have righteousness reckoned to me, but I also have righteousness imparted to me in the new nature that I have received from him. I have received his nature, his life, and in this life and nature is the life of God. And this makes me righteous, even as he is righteous. And this is my confession. This gives me boldness in prayer, and it builds faith. And this makes my way sure because I'm no longer hemmed in by limitations because I am united with the limitless one. He's the vine and I am the branch. And as a branch, I bear his fruit because the vine is imparting to me the fullness of his life. I know the reality of this because it has become a part of my very being. And I know I love because he has shed abroad his love in my heart through the Holy Spirit. It says that in Romans 5 and 5. And I know that his nature in me is love. His love ability has gained mastery for now. I can love in whatever circumstances that I'm placed in. And I can say with joy, sin shall not have dominion over me. Romans 6 and 14, it can no longer lord itself over me. Circumstances 
can no longer hold me in bondage and hinder my usefulness in the world. I not only have God's life in me and this great spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead in me, but I also have the use of Jesus' name. He has given to me a legal right to use his name. And my confession is that whatever I ask of the Father in his name, he gives to me. He has given me the power of attorney. I am using that power to help men. I am taking Jesus' place now. He's working his work, his work through me. He's living his own life in me. Jesus said, in my name, you shall cast out demons. And I'm exercising my rights. He said, in my name, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. My hands become the medium through which his life pours. I am living the abundant life and I know my words are his words. His words broke the power of death of demons and healed the sick, glory to God. And they do the same things in my lips. Because this is my confession. This is my heart expressing itself through words in my lips. And confession is faith's way of expressing itself. Faith, like love, is only revealed in action and word. There's no faith without confession. Faith grows with your confession. Confession does several things to the believer. It locates it. It fixes the landmarks of his life. It mightily affects his spirit, the inner man, when he makes his declarations. For instance, there is in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's two confessions involved here. First, it's a confession of the Lordship of Jesus. And second, that he has become the righteousness of God and is saved. Now, these are positive confessions. The reason the majority of Christians are weak, though they are earnest, is that they have never dared to make confession of what they are in Christ. What they must do is find what they are in the mind of the Father, how he looks upon them, and then confess it. And that can be found in Paul's epistles. When you find this, you boldly make your confession of what the word declares you are in Christ. And as you do this, your faith will skyrocket. And the reason your faith is throttled and held in bondage is that you have never dared to confess what God says you are. Remember that faith never grows beyond your confession. Your daily confession of what the Father is to you, what Jesus is now doing for you at the right hand of the Father, what the mighty Holy Spirit is doing in you will build a positive, solid faith life. You're not going to be afraid of any circumstances, of any diseases, or of any condition because you'll be fearlessly facing life, a conqueror, in God. And after a while, you'll find that Romans 8.37 is true. It says this, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You're never going to be a conqueror until you start confessing it. Now, what's a wrong confession? 
A wrong confession is the confession of defeat, failure, and of the supremacy of Satan. Talking about your combat with the devil, how he has hindered you, how he's holding you in bondage and keeping you sick. That's a confession of defeat. And it's a wrong confession. It glorifies your enemy. It is an unconscious declaration that your Father God is a failure. Most of the confessions that we hear today glorify the devil. And they destroy faith and hold you in bondage. The confession of your lips that have grown out of faith in your heart will absolutely defeat the enemy in every combat. The confession of Satan's ability to hinder you and keep you from success gives Satan dominion over you and fills you with fear and weakness. But if you boldly confess your father's care and protection and declare that he that is in you is greater than any force around you, you'll rise above any kind of a satanic influx. And every time you confess your doubts and fears, your weaknesses and your diseases, what you're doing, you're openly confessing that the word of God is not true and that God has failed to make it good. He declares this. He said, with his stripes, you were healed. And surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Instead of confessing that he has borne my diseases and put them away, I confess that I still have them. I take the testimony of my senses instead of the testimony of the word of God. And as long as I hold fast to my confession of weakness, sickness, and pain, I'm going to still have them. And I might search for years for a man of God to pray the prayer of faith for me. And it ain't going to do a bit of good because my unbelief destroys the effect of his faith. And the believer who is always confessing his sins and his weaknesses is building weaknesses. He's building failure and sin into his consciousness. And if we do sin, when we confess it, he says in 1 John 1 and 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when that confession has been made, you don't need to refer to it again. It's, past, it's not past history because history can be remembered, can't it? It ought to be as though it had never been. We should never remind ourselves or the Lord of our failings or of our past mistakes. They are not. If you confess anything, confess that you stand complete in him. That what God has said in regard to your mistakes and blunders is absolutely true. You confess that God is the Lord of your life. That he is the Lord over disease, sickness, and Satan. And you hold fast to your confessing of Jesus, absolute lordship over everything that would keep you in bondage or hinder you from enjoying that finished work of Christ in your life. And in the face of every need, you confess that the Lord is your shepherd. You do not want. And because it's always, always in the present tense, he is your supply. He is your health. He is your strength. He's the strength of your life. Of whom will you be afraid? Remember that we never realize beyond our confession. If you dare confess healing on the ground of the word, then there's no sickness for you. And in the face of pain and an open sore, you confess that by his stripes you are healed. And you hold fast to that confession. 
You don't ever waver knowing that no word from God is void of power. Glory to God. And that word power means ability. Ability to make good. That word will heal you if you continually confess it. Your body will respond to your mind and your spirit will gain the lordship over your body and your mind. Your body will obey what you confess. He sent his word and healed them, it says in Psalm 107 and 20, because Jesus was that word. Now that name of Jesus and the words of Jesus become your healing. Confession is just confirming the word of God. It is a confession of my confidence in what God has already spoken in his word. And here's a here's a, a few of the uh, confessions that every believer ought to make. Romans 10 Verses 9 to 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We confess the absolute lordship of Jesus and the absolute righteousness that's proclaimed to us in our redemption. And we dare to confess before the world and before the throne of God that Jesus is now our Lord and that we have received salvation and become the righteousness of God in him. And we confess that we are new creations of which Jesus is the head and the Lord. The word has taken Jesus's place in our life. We are to obey the word as we would obey Jesus if he stood right there in front of you. A second confession is found in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. We confess that we no longer have cares, anxieties, and burdens. We can never have helplessness. We can never be unnerved and unfit for life's work. Our minds are complete and clear. Our spirits are free. Our testimony has the anointing of the Spirit upon it because he bears every burden. He carries every load and he meets every need. Now, third confession is this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalms 23. I don't want for money. I don't want for health or rest. And I don't want for strength. And I don't want for anything. He is all that I need. And this is a living reality. What a life is mine. What a sense of security, of power, and of victory. And you're not afraid to take your stand on Philippians 4, 19, where it says, My God shall supply all my need. And you loudly make your fourth confession. That Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 and 1 Peter 2, 24 is true. Every disease, every weakness and every infirmity was laid on Jesus Christ and you're free of it. Just as he bore your sin, he bore your disease too. You stand complete in him, free from that burden, the power, the pain and the effect of disease. And this confession gives you a healthy body, a clear mind. And a conquering spirit, glory to God. And your fifth confession is that 1 Corinthians one thirty is absolutely true.
But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ has been made all these things unto you. You don't need to pray for wisdom as James told the babes in Christ to do. James 1 and 5. Because he is your wisdom. You don't have to ask for righteousness because you have become the righteousness of God in him. You don't have to ask him to sanctify you because he is your sanctification. And you do not have to pray for redemption because you are redeemed. He is your redemption. And what a confession to make before the whole world. Hebrews 4 and 14 says, let us hold fast our confession. Now we have found in a measure what our confession is. But look, folks, there's a great deal more to it than you heard the things that I have already related. Your success and usefulness in the world are going to be measured by your confession and by the tenacity with which you hold fast to that confession under all circumstances or the opinions of men. You'll never yield to fear or listen to the voices of your senses because you stand by your confession, knowing that God will not and cannot fail you. Now, there's a there's a good danger of a dual confession. You confess his faithfulness, the absolute faithfulness of his word, yet at the same time, you confess your sickness, you confess your weakness, you confess your lack of money, your lack of ability. And you have confessed that he was your supply, that he was your healer. And you have confessed that you were healed by his stripes. Now you talk about your lack of ability to do this or that because of your sickness. You can't do the housework or go about your business because you're not able to do it. Yet, you have made your confession that he was the strength of your life and that with his stripes you were healed. Your confession of sickness and disease destroys what you are in Christ or what he is in you. And that's one of the most dangerous of all confessions. You'll find that you have been so carefully trained in the confession of wrong, of failure, of weakness, or sin, or sickness, and of want, that it's going to take a great deal of discipline through the word to cure you of that habit. Now, what you need to do is make your confession and stand by it. Now let's talk about a negative confession. Few of us realize that our confession imprisons us. The right kind of confession is going to set you free. It's not only our thinking, it's our word, our conversation that builds power or weakness into us. Our words are the coins in the kingdom of faith. Our words snare us and hold us in captivity where they set us free and become powerful in the lives of others. It's what we confess with our lips that really dominates our inner beings. We unconsciously confess what we believe. If we talk sickness, it's because we believe in sickness. If we talk weakness and failure, it's because we believe in weakness and failure. And it's surprising what faith people have in wrong things. They firmly believe in cancer, ulcers of the stomach, tuberculosis, or other 
incurable diseases. And their faith in those diseases rises to the point where it utterly dominates them or rules them. They become absolute slaves to it. They get the habit of confessing their weakness in their confession as to the strength of their weakness. They confess their lack of faith and they are filled with doubts. They confess their fear and they become more fearful. They confess their fear of diseases and the disease grows under their confession. They confess their lack and they build up a sense of light that gains the supremacy in their lives. And when we realize that we'll never rise above our confession, we're getting to the place where God can really begin to use us. You confess that by his stripes you were healed. Hold fast to your confession. And guess what? No disease can stand before you when you confess that. And whether you realize it or not, we're sowing words. Just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, the seed is the word of God. The sower went forth to sow, and the seed he was sowing was the word of God. This is the seed we should sow. Others are sowing sense-knowledge seeds of fear and doubt. It's when we confess the word of God, declare with emphasis that by his stripes I am healed, or my God supplies every need of mine, and hold fast to our confession that we see our deliverance. Our words begat faith or doubt in others. Revelation 12 and 11 declares And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They they overcame him with the word of God that was in their testimony. They conquered the devil with their words. Most of the sick that Jesus healed during his ministry were healed with words. God created the universe with words, faith-filled words. Jesus said this. He said, Thy faith have made thee whole in Matthew 9 and 22. He said to dead Lazarus, he said, come forth. John eleven forty three. his words raised the dead. Satan is overcome by words. He's whipped by words. And our lips become the means of transportation of God's deliverance from heaven to man's needs here on earth. We use God's word. We say, in Jesus' name, demon, come out of here. And Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out demons. And in my name, you will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All with words. You know, the church has never given this vital subject a place in its teaching. And yet, answer prayer, the use of Jesus' name and faith are utterly dependent upon it. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Christianity is called our confession. And in Hebrews 4 and 14, we're told to hold fast our confession. You understand Romans 10 verses 8 through 10, it says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, the place that confession holds in salvation, it holds the same place in our faith walk. 
Christianity is a confession. It's our open confession of what we are in Christ, of what Christ is to us. Our faith is gauged by our confession. You don't ever believe beyond what you confess. And it's not a confession of sin, it's a confession of our place in Christ, of our legal rights, of what the Father has done for us in Christ, what the Spirit has done in us through the Word, and what He's able to do through us. There is a grave danger of our having two confessions. One would be the integrity of the Word, and the other would be of our doubts and fears. And every time we confess weakness and failure and doubt and fear, we go to the level of them. We might pray very passionately and very earnestly and declare in our prayers our faith in the word. And yet the next moment we question whether he heard us or not, for we confess we have not the things for which we pray. Our last confession destroys our prayer. When someone asks you to pray for his healing and you pray for him, then he says, I want you to keep on praying for me. And then you ask him what he wishes you to pray for. And he says, oh, my healing. And what you tell him is this, that prayer will be of no value because you have just denied the word of God. The word says this, those who believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. You prayed the prayer of faith and he denied it. By his confession, he annulled your prayer and destroyed the effects of your faith. Your confession has to absolutely agree with the word. And if you have prayed in Jesus' name, and you are to then hold fast to your confession. Because it's easy to destroy the effect of your prayer by a negative confession. You know, our faith in, or uh, unbelief is determined by our confession. And there are very few of us that realize the effect of our spoken words are on our own hearts or on our adversary. He, he hears us make that confession of failure, of sickness, of lack. And apparently he doesn't forget. And we unconsciously go down to the level of our confession. No one ever rises above it. If you confess sickness, bless God, it, it develops sickness in your system. And if you confess doubt, the doubts become stronger. If you confess a lack of finances, it's going to stop the money from coming in. You say, I can't understand this. No, because most of us live in the sense realm. And those spiritual things are very unclear. Hebrews 4 14 has to become a constant reality. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And our confession is that the word can't be broken. That what the Father says is true. And when you doubt the Father, you're doubting his word. When we doubt his word, it's because we believe something else that is contrary to that word. Our confidence may be in the arm of the flesh. It might be in medicine. It might be in an institution. But whatever our confidence is in, if it contradicts the word, it destroys your faith life. And it destroys your prayers too. Then it brings you into bondage. Every person who walks by faith 
are going to have testings. They don't come from the Father. They come from the enemy. And he is refusing to allow you to escape him. You become dangerous to the adversary when you become strong enough to resist him. When you have learned to trust in the ability that the Father will meet your every need. And when that becomes a reality in your consciousness, the adversary is defeated. Glory to God. But as long as he can confuse the issue and keep you in a state of, of unbelief, you're at a disadvantage. And may your confidence in the world be strengthened to make you know that no word from God is void of power or can go by default. There ain't a power in all the universe to void one statement of fact in this word. He said, I'll watch over my word to perform it. Jeremiah 1 and 12. And again, 1 Peter 2 and 6, He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Your confidence is in that unbroken living word and you hold fast to your confession in the face of every assault of the enemy. Well, let's talk about our conversations here. Few of us realize the effect that our conversations have upon our own spirits. When you pretend to be what you are not and you talk glibly about it, it builds into your spirit a weakness. It's like a piece of rot in the beam of a building. Or your conversation may be full of discouragement. You talk of your failures and inferiority. Eventually, it will rob you of initiative. You're going to find it difficult to rise above that mental attitude. On the other hand, you speak the truth about what you are in Christ. You confess to your friends or your enemies that God is to you and of your union with him. You confess that you are actually partners with him, that he's the one who backs you up and furnishes the capital to put the things over. You give him credit for his ability, for his wisdom, and you dare to make your confession boldly of your confidence in your success by his grace. Jesus' bold and continual confession is our example. We are what he made us to be. Jesus confessed what he was. Sense knowledge could not understand it. We are to confess what we are in Christ. Men of the senses don't understand it. To confess that you are redeemed, that you're redeemed, the redemption is an actual reality, that you are delivered out of Satan's dominion and authority would be a daring confession to make. To confess that you are an actually new creation created in Christ Jesus, that you are a partaker of the very nature and life of deity would amaze your friends. And it's not confessing it once, but daily affirming your relationship to him, confessing your righteousness, your ability to stand in his presence without the sense of guilt or inferiority. Dare to stand in the presence of sense knowledge facts and declare that you are what God says you are. For instance, Sense knowledge declares that I am sick with an incurable disease. I confess that God laid that disease on Jesus and that Satan has no right to put it on me and that by his stripes I am healed. 
I am to hold fast to my confession in the face of apparent sense-knowledge contradiction. Sense-knowledge says that it's not true, that I am confessing an untruth. But I am confessing what God says. You see, there are two kinds of truth, sense-knowledge truth and revelation truth. And they're usually opposed to each other. Folks, we live in the new realm above the senses, so we hold fast to our confession that we are what the Word says we are. Suppose my senses have revealed, revealed the fact that I am in great need financially. Here's what the Word declares. He said, My God shall supply all your needs in Philippians 4.19. And then I called his attention to what the senses have intimated. And he knows that my ex- expectations are from him. Psalms 62 and 5. I refuse to be intimidated by what my senses tells me. And I refuse to have my life governed by them. And I know that he who is in me is greater than the forces that surround me. The forces that oppose me are in the senses, right? And the power that is in me is the Holy Spirit. And I know that spiritual forces are greater than the forces in the sense realm. And I maintain my confession of spiritual values, of spiritual realities, in the face of sense contradictions. Face confession is always, always a joyful confession. It confesses that we have the money before it's arrived. It confesses perfect healing while pain is still in the body. It confesses victory while defeat still holds it captive. Your confession is based upon the living word of God. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is not only able to make good, but he is making good now in my case. Second Timothy 1 and 12. When we confess the word with joy, it brings conviction to the listeners. In, in Romans 10, 10, the scripture says this, for with the heart man believes. You know, I like to say it like it, for with the heart, Man acts on the word, the heart acts, and that drives the lips to confess the good confession. A doubting heart is a sense-ruled heart, but a fearless confession comes from a word-ruled heart. The word dominates the heart life, and the person speaks as Paul did say, I know whom I have believed, Second Timothy 1 and 12. As Paul stood on the deck of that ship in the midst of the awful storm, he said, I believe God. Then he told those wondering men, every one of you will get to the shore safely, but the ship will be lost. Acts 27, 22. He said, come, let us break our fast. And he broke bread. He gave thanks in the midst of them. He gave them more than bread. He gave them courage. Glory to God. Paul had a faith-filled, joyous confession. And only a heart that is nourished on the Word can stand in these hard places. When we know that the Word is God speaking to us now, it's not difficult to act on it. In Psalms 119.89, we read that the Word is settled in heaven. And when I read that, I saw that it it has to be settled in my heart, too. I would no longer try to settle it. Because I knew that no word from God was void of fulfillment. 
and I was no longer afraid to act on it. The word became more real to me than any word man had ever spoken. And my lips were filled with laughter. My heart was filled with joy. And I had victorious confessions from then on. And how many times I have seen the hesitant confession a forerunner of failure. And the joyful confession a forerunner of victory, glory to God. And when we fearlessly act upon the word and joyfully cast our every care on him, victory is as sure as the rising of the sun. We walk in the light of our testimony and our faith never goes beyond what we confess. And the word becomes real only as we confess its reality. And the reason for this is we walk by faith and not by sight. Since knowledge would confess only what it had seen, heard, or felt. The people who are seeking experiences always walk by the senses. And our testimony of the reality of the word is feared by Satan himself. Romans 10 and 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. And this reacts on our hearts just as doubt spoken by the lips reacts on our hearts. When you talk of your doubts and your fears, you destroy your faith. When you talk of the ability of the Father, that is your, you fill your lips with praise for answers to prayer that you have asked. And this reaction upon the heart is tremendous. Faith grows by leaps and bounds when you do that. When you talk about your trials and your difficulties, or your lack of faith, or your lack of money. Your faith shrivels up. It loses its vitality. Your whole spirit's life shrinks. You study about what you are in Christ and then confess it boldly. You dare to act on the word in the face of sense knowledge opposition. Regardless of appearance, you take your stand. You make your confession. And hold fast to it in the face of apparent impossibilities. You see, because faith doesn't ask for possible things. Faith is demanding the impossible. Prayer is never for the possible, but always for the thing that is out of reason. It is God who is at work within us and for us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8 and 32. You see, you are launching out into the realm of the impossible, just as Abraham did when he asked for a son. You're not asking for something you can do for yourself, but for something that's beyond reason. Then you refuse to acknowledge fear or to entertain a doubt. The hardest battles I have ever fought have been along this line. The greatest battles. I have ever won have been those that seemed the most impossible, where, where where there was the greatest opposition, where reason was discredited by faith. I held fast to my confession and the word was made good. Confess your dominion over diseases in Jesus' name. Never be frightened by any condition, no matter how forbidding, how impossible the case might be. It may be cancer or, or tuberculosis or an accident in which death seems to be in charge of the situation, but you never give in. You know that you and God are masters of the situation. 
and you never for a moment lose your confession of your authority over the works of the adversary. The, this disease, this calamity is not of God. It has but one source, and that's the enemy, Satan. In Jesus' name, you are master. You have taken Jesus' place, and you're acting in his stead. You fearlessly take your position, confess your ability in Christ to meet any emergency. Always remember that Jesus met defeat and conquered it. You're facing defeat everywhere as a master. Don't let down. Keep your solid front. Grit your teeth and keep enduring into your faith. Philippians 1, 27, 28 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your state that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one soul, striving for the faith of the gospel. 28. And in nothing affrighted by the adversary, which is for them an evident token of perdition, but of your salvation, and that from God. And that solid front spoken of in Colossians 2, verse 5, is the solid front presented to your enemy. It says, Yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You cannot be conquered. Your spirit is with me. Nay, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. Every disease is of the adversary. All kinds of sin are of the adversary. All opposition to the glad tidings is of the adversary. God and I are victors. Greater is he that is in me than this opposition or this disease. There's no need that is greater than my Lord. There's no lack that he cannot meet. This steadfast will that God has brought about in you cannot be overwhelmed or conquered. You remember what you are. You are a new creation. You are a branch of the vine. You are an heir of God. You are united with him. You and God are one. He is the greater part of that one. And there's no such thing as conquering God when his instrument refuses to admit that the enemy can overwhelm him because you are that instrument. Philippians 4 and 11 says, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. Now let's talk a little bit about defeated by your own lips. You said that you could not, and the moment you said it, you were whipped. You said, you said that you did not have faith, and doubt arose like a giant and bound you. You are imprisoned with your own words. You talk failure, and failure held you in bondage. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. You know, few of us realize that our words dominate us. A young man said, I was never whipped until I confessed I was whipped. Another said, the moment I began to make a bold, confident confession, a new courage that I had never known took possession of me. And another Young lady said, my lips have been a constant curse. I have never been able to get the mastery of my lips. I know you've heard people say that 
I always speak my mind. Well, they have few friends. Only pity causes people to go see them. Their lips have been their curse. It's not so bad speaking your mind if you have the mind of Christ, but as long as you have a mind dominated by the devil, very few people care to hear your mind. So you never fear failure. You never talk defeat. And never for a moment acknowledge that God's ability can't put you over. Always become God inside minded. Remembering that greater is he that is in you than any force that can come against you. And remembering that God created a universe with words. That words are mightier than tanks or bombs. Mightier than the army or navy. Learn to use words so that they will work for you and be your servants. Learn that your lips can make you a millionaire or a pauper, wanted or despised, a victor or a captive. Your words can be filled with faith that will stir heaven and make men want to be around you. And remember, you can fill your words with love so that they will melt the coldest heart and warm and heal the broken and discouraged. In other words, your words can become what you wish them to be. You can make them a rhyme. You can fill them with rhythm. You can fill them with hatred, with poison, or you can make them breathe the very fragrance of heaven. And now you can see clearly what your confession can mean to your own heart. And your faith will never register above the words of your lips. It's not so bad to think a thing as it is to say it. Thoughts may come and persist in staying, but if you refuse to put them into words, they'll die unborn. So cultivate the habit of thinking big things and then learn to use words that will react upon your own spirit and make you a conqueror in life. Jesus' confessions prove to be realities. Faith's confessions create realities. Jesus confessed that he was the light of the world. He was it. The rejection of him has plunged the world into a new darkness. He said he was the bread from heaven and his fruit. The people who have fed upon his words have never suffered want. His words build faith as we act on them and let them live in us. His words were filled with himself as we act on them and they fill us with Christ. His words feed faith, and cause it to grow in power in us. And the believer's words should be born of love and filled with love. Our lips are taking the place of Jesus' lips. And our words should never bruise or hurt, but should bless and heal. Because Jesus was the way, the reality, and the life. We're taking his place, showing the way, confessing the reality, and enjoying the life. You'll never enjoy what you are in Christ until his love rules your lips. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Confess the good confession, folks. It'll make a man of God or a woman of God out of you that people want to congregate around. Father, we thank you for that. Jesus' name. All right. So long, folks. Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you.
Jesus. 